and welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Roberts, and I'll be speaking with guests about their work, research and ideas on better engaging young people. I really hope you like it. Hello, this week we're joined by Josh Acapo, co-founder of creative agency Archetype, who facilitate impactful moments of culture for the likes of Lovebox Festival, Stormzy and DLT. Josh also does creative research and insights at Hype Collective, a student marketing agency, and is part of a youth mentoring non-profit, Joined Up Thinking, helping curate projects, particularly for young people of colour, to stand out and reach their potential. Hi Josh, thanks for coming today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is, this is really cool. Um, the most exhausting introduction of all time, like you must be. <laughs> Every time you're doing lots and lots of things and you're still studying, right? Yes, I am. So I'm finishing up university this summer. Um, and yeah, I was doing all of that stuff whilst I was in uni and I am tired. I'm, I'm literally exhausted, but it's all good. It's, it's all really, really good. And I'm, I'm glad to be in this position. So you were recently involved in some research at Hype around attracting LGBTQ plus talent and what more employers can do to make students, grads and applicants from communities feel safe in the workplace. So what were the key things you found? Yes. So that, that research came out in March and it was really, really interesting and important for us to sort of deliver it because one thing that we noticed in doing this research is that other sort of student marketing agencies or other sort of student focused groups and organizations weren't really doing research to target LGBTQ plus audiences and to understand what they wanted, especially in the sort of early career space. Because what we often hear is that we're just celebrating and we're just like really, really proud. And we're, you see employer brands taking pride and taking the rainbow. Um, taking that rainbow and just slapping it on their logo and um, students aren't wanting that students kind of are over it students get it we actually ended up writing a blog post after this which was called we're over the rainbows what graduate employers can do to actually attract and to actually include lgbtq plus talent one major thing was that a lot of people are still scared or still are not comfortable with sharing their identities in the workplace for fear of retribution, for fear of discrimination, for fear of organisations not really understanding where they're coming from. Also, um, these very same LGBTQ plus students were even more scared of doing so in an environment that seemed lacking diversity. So, for example, if it's a team full of predominantly white men, people are going to be a lot less likely to share their identities and people are going to be a lot less likely to want to join um, those companies and those organizations despite of course the fact that the graduate employment market for students is exceedingly competitive so um, students are almost forced into working in environments that they might not necessarily like but in terms of like solutions and some things that um, graduate employers and brands can do more to sort of center LGBTQ plus voices especially as we're thinking about Pride Month is to understand that, like, first of all, LGBTQ plus communities, queer communities are a lot more diverse than your regular cis white gay men. Of course, due to the nature of society and what everything's going on, it's very easy to see pride and to see ideas of love is love um, and that kind of thing as a white gay man thing. But really, let's think back to Stonewall. That would not have happened without the actions of people of colour, of black women, black trans women as well. They're, they're the ones who very much spearheaded those, those earlier marches who were very much foundational to ensuring that LGBTQ plus communities now can have a little bit more liberation, can have a little bit more freedom, can um, be more out and in the open. And from that liberation, we see white gay men have benefited most from that. 
And students are clocking onto it because one thing that we were really proud about in this research is that we had a really high percentage of um, BAME students that we interviewed. In fact, the percentage was 63.6% BAME that we interviewed. Representation matters, but alone, that won't do enough to help LGBTQ plus students feel like employers understand them more. So what they actually wanted are things like specific workplace training programs, an organizational purpose that allows LGBTQ plus ap applicants to have a positive impact. And that one right there is exceedingly important because purpose, not necessarily, oh, we're, we're a brand, we're an organization, we have to have a purpose, we have to do all that kind of stuff, which we'll come on to later, I'm sure, but more so allowing LGBTQ plus applicants and members of staff to do things maybe outside their job role, maybe inside their job role, in whatever industry they end up going into that actually gives back a bit more, that actually allows them to use their creativity a bit more. We also found that these very students like creativity a lot more um, and use that as an outlet to express a lot of things as well. I think it's a really interesting one because I think some of the brands that have like irritated me most are the ones that kind of say, you know, we support the community and, and have this avatar and then you're like, this is the bare minimum you could say about anyone. Like, the majority of young people see through that kind of performative messaging and campaigns, that tokenistic inclusion. And I've seen quite a few studies speaking to young people about like recruitment messaging as well around, well, okay, well, it's okay they're saying that they, they're an inclusive employer, but I don't see what else. And I think that's where employers and brands get a bit stuck. How do you think brands on a number of issues can better represent issues that impact young people? That That's a really interesting analysis. And it really comes back to the fact that a lot of brands and their respective marketing contractors, agencies, companies, collectives, whatever you want to call them, are marketing to themselves and only themselves. And I really, I, I don't say, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that like, like a ha ha, you're doing this. I say that disappointedly because I'm looking and I'm thinking, oh, okay, so you guys just want to go to Cannes Festival, right? There are actual consumers here that you can market to, especially in the youth marketing space. There's actual young people that you can market to. In fact, there was an all-in survey that came out which actually showed that I, I don't think there's as many young people age 18 to 24 in the creative industries as there are in the general workforce. And that's really, really telling of the fact that we market to ourselves when we're marketing to young people. So when we're talking about brands being surprised that young people can actually search for information despite us literally be growing up on the internet, when we get surprised by that, it's it's less of a thing where it's like oh young people are this change making generation they're this all of that and they are in their own right and we'll come to that later but it's more of a fact that brands really are not cognizant of the fact that young people have been like this their entire lives we've been researching things our entire lives we've been looking at things our entire lives we've been having to be extra critical and extra cautious and extra careful because the environment that we've grown up in has been extra harmful, extra scary, extra toxic, extra weird for us. And like it goes to the fact, I think if you're in the UK, a young person, you are statistically likely to have never voted for anything that has actually won in your favour. That goes from Brexit to um, political party elections, even local elections a lot of the times. A lot of us haven't won in that respect. And we've been reaping sort of what other generations have given us um, whether rightly or wrongly. And um, when it comes now back to brands, a lot of brands are just thriving in this current climate, not understanding that young people don't like the current climate. And young people are trying to do as much as they can, not necessarily to 
to start revolutionary movements every second, but to just ensure that they are being protected and looked out for and looked after and um, in environments that actually somewhat serve them as opposed to just walking in blindly, thinking that everything is sunshine and rainbows, as we were told, but then be exceedingly disappointed later when we're not. So advice I'd give to brands, first and foremost, is understand your audience. Because if you don't, all you'll be doing is is marketing to the people who claim to have an understanding of the audience, who don't, who haven't really been amongst people aged 16 to 18, people aged 18 to 20, who haven't really understood what it's like going through university during a global pandemic. I think if you're trying to market to anybody from the age of 18 to 22, you need to understand that as like a core. You need to know that it's been a very trying time over the past 15, 16 months with this whole thing, that there is so much uncertainty up in the air. You need to know that. You need to understand the different cultural points that young people are hitting, the ways, the new innovative ways in which we're using um, different online platforms and not just social media, but things like Patreon and Substack, membership subscription services that you get on um, different forms of social media too. What content we're consuming? Why are we consuming the content we're consuming? What's selling and for which demographics? Is it millennials or is it Gen Z? I think the other thing there that's really interesting is around that view of like long-term relationships and marketing and brand and it's about youth audiences and people in general are multi-dimensional. So you want to build a relationship with them, you'd look at multiple ways to do that so Mm. the fact they like buying stuff from you that's one thing but they might look for more than that longer term what are some of the ways you think work well in terms of engaging people like with whether it's brands or organizations like projects or campaigns specifically what seems to work well firstly i think with brands i I get asked this question quite a bit and it's, it's really interesting and one thing that i think a lot of brands do is they look to especially big brands um and brands who are aspiring to be big brands and they're all looking to each other and being like oh my gosh who in the industry is doing the best thing right now is engaging with youth audiences let's all go and follow follow and do what they're doing instead of actually looking to those who are influencing those people what i see smart marketers do and smart brands do is look at the grassroots look at what's going on there and really tap in to culture that's coming up and to culture that's being created and that's why like we have shows like What's, what's Big Zoo doing on Dave uh, with his um, rap special where he's inviting all these different people on to like make a rap? I've been, I, I was binge watching that the other day and I was like, wow, this show is great. I'm thinking like five years ago, that would have never been on, on Dave. And even with things such as like the Who We Be podcast on Spotify with um, Henry and Harry Pinero, um, they're interviewing a bunch of people who are, who are very embedded into different cultures coming up. And all of that and all of those mixes together and Spotify are understanding, Dave are understanding. This is an audience that's going to grow. This is a this is what people are actually looking for on YouTube. Like when we look at things like the podcast that Chucky and Poet used to, well, I think they still do it. When we look at community radio stations like Represent Radio, like No Signal, like um, NTS, um, when we look at those places and we think, usually brands stop at, oh, wow, this is really, really cool. Instead of going, oh, wow, this is really, really cool. Let's tap into this culture. And I said, that's what a smart brand does. Now, what a brand that is cognizant of the fact that they need to be more than smart, they need to be like more than ethical, they need to be just on the right side of things. What brands who care do is they will then say, we are going to invest into this culture and not invest looking for um, a sweet return. Invest, look because the return will come. I'm even looking at what um, Warm Street have done with the Ray and Nephew brand over the past year or two. 
Ray and Nephew brand has always been popular amongst Black British communities, but they they also have a really interesting history. If anyone wants to go and look at that, um, interesting, not in a good way. But they have managed to flip that around. And every single time I'm out at a party now, what is the word I hear? Ray and Nephew. Or their um, subsidiary brand, Magnum. Those are the only two words I hear. Wherever I'm out at any single kind of event that's got any kind of like rooting and culture, all I'm hearing are those two brand names. And they know what they're doing. Because they're actually investing back into communities. Like Ray and Nephew did, they, um, they invested money into No Signal. They invested money into a whole bunch of other projects that were going on around that time. They ensured that people within those cultures knew what they were doing. And they're reaping the rewards, but they're still investing though. They're still in that space though. But it seems that brands like that are actually doing the foundational work of actually investing into the communities that they want to tap into. Not just looking and saying, oh, wow, that's so cool. And then going back to your ivory tower in Soho or in London Bridge and saying, oh, yeah, no, let's let's go back and and lead with authenticity and purpose, those buzzwords. Or worse, kind of rip it off for their own version, which I see quite a yes. lot of. So you made two really interesting points there. One around like that kind of almost like empowering aspects of a culture you want to engage with to be brilliant and be part of that journey and also not necessarily always being at the centre of that. Mm. It's kind of just like a behavioural change that brands need to go on. Work that um, I've done with Joined Up Thinking, with NHS Blood and Transplant, with their sort of youth comms and trying to encourage young people to understand what organ donation is and to have those conversations, those uncomfortable conversations with their family, really did hit the nail on the head with the behavioural change because what they did is they... Finally, after after years of like campaigning for it, they actually opened up a community investment scheme in 2018, and that ran through to the end of 2019, I believe. And that was the first time they ever did it. So they gave communities money directly to do campaigns that they were already doing for their own sort of audiences because it was engaging young black groups. This particular project that was what this that was what our part of the community investment scheme was on. We said, okay, let's go to young black people. So we went and got a bunch of organ donation champions. Everybody we recruited was of black heritage, which was great. What we were able to do was embolden them to create creative. We paid them for it. Everything got done. Um, the creative was good. We managed to, I think, organically get like hundreds of thousands of views in, a, in this project. We really did not spend much on paid. We really didn't. And then on the behavioral change, so the returns that happened, NHS Blood and Transplant then went away and just re-strategize their entire youth outreach. So based off of based of what we did. So they then invited us back in 2019 to help them run one of their hothouse weeks, which was getting five young people into a whole creative agency that they'd never worked in before, never stepped in before, paid actual competitive day rates, got them in. It was a diverse group, I think um, 80% women, 60% black, 80% name as well, which was really, which was really great. Um, and it was really great to see and similar stats for the second year in a row. We got them there for a week. We said, hey, we want we want really cool creative. Can you do it? They said, yeah, we created really cool creative. It went out on the nationwide campaign. They put they put a bit of spend behind it. And all of a sudden, youth attitudes are changing. And we did it a second year in 2020. Um, and all of a sudden, youth attitudes changed again. Great to see. And it was great to see all the engagement with it and like all of the sort of stories behind it. It ended up getting a highly commended award. At, I think it was a drum social impact. Um, awards, which was great. Um, didn't even see that coming. And this is all from a youth youth um, mentoring organisation. What's nice there is they were kind of giving young people a real opportunity, mm. paying them, 
respecting their opinion and actually going with it. From your agency research and research experience, as well as a student yourself, young people have had a particularly awful um, year and I guess their future view has really shifted because of that. What more can brands do to really respect that and support them in what they're doing now in terms of, I guess, as employers, but also from how they're trying to engage in this campaigns? The first thing that I will say is um, just pay young people. That's the first thing that I will literally say to agencies, to brands. If you're using young people for work, pay them. That's the ethos of hype. With Archetype, it's a bit different. We're sort of navigating that that path where we're not a student marketing agency. We have a youth centre and a black culture centre and a Gen Z centre. We do, we do a lot more than that as well. But one thing that we that we make sure we do is to credit everyone, is to ensure if we don't have the budget, then we're doing it ourselves internally. I'm not going to go out there and pick somebody and be like, oh, well, you'll get paid in exposure. We can um, expose people for free. One thing we did for Black Lives Matter is we, we didn't want to do the typical thing of like the black square because we were like, okay, no. Um, and we didn't want to do another typical thing of just making a statement and being like, we're in support of, because we know that, like we're, we're a majority Black-owned agency, so you would assume that we're in, so, although not every majority Black-owned agency is, and I'm not going to speak about that yet. Instead of doing that whole general corporate spiel, what we did is we just got young, often like unheard of, un, like not really big platforms, young people who were creating art that was speaking truth to power, just posted them and said, hey, industry, look, wrote up a piece about them, blasted them across all of our socials, um, started plugging them in different places, and just continue with that sort of ethos. But we're also working with clients that actually want to do good. So, for example, we did the, um, the branding and identity for the Queer Student Awards. Another thing we've been able to do is work with the Mental Health Foundation on an account called Becoming a Man, which helps young men in schools to become men without all the toxic masculinity, with the understanding of mental health. Um, we've worked with University of Arts London on some widening participation work. So we get to do all of these campaigns that centre the voices of people who are usually marginalised. I wake up to make an impact, and I see that at hype when from just our general ethos of how we're paying people that joined up thinking, being a not-for-profit youth mentoring organisation that specialises in helping young people to stand out and reach their potential. And now Archetype having a more purposeful ang- angle in the impactful moments in culture that we create. Are there any brands or campaigns you feel do a really, really good job at engaging youth audiences? One thing that one thing that kind of um, happened over COVID for me, as a 23-year-old young person, I just started to really disengage with those, with what a lot of big brands were trying to sell me. Um, stuff I've sort of mentioned around Ray and Nephew, around um, what they were doing with Big Zoo about, I will say Spotify are actually really good in how they're able to target certain content creators and bring them in as like Spotify originals. They don't just do your big names. You get um, Black Hosted podcast about UK music, who we be taught. You get um, podcasts like The Receipts podcast and Three Shots of Tequila. But in general, I can't, I can't lie to you. I've actually been pretty disappointed by the state of youth marketing in the past couple of years. Even though I've literally seen probably the most campaigns I've seen geared at young audiences, even geared at um, like young marginalized audiences. And it's not only me as well. Like we did some research um, on activism on campus at Hype Collective. 32.7% of the students we surveyed said that whilst it's nice for a brand to have a social purpose beyond selling goods and services, they don't have to. And a further 26.4% of students, that's over one in four, said that they only, only want brands to sell goods and services. That's it. They don't need anything else. But there's been a huge push by brands 
um, and by sort of institutions to position all of the responsibility of consuming ethically on consumers, on individual consumers who often don't have the financial agency, don't have the social agency, don't have the time currency agency, don't have the political agency or the will, frankly, to actually go out of their way and buy more ethically and buy more conscious. Like, And just finally, are there any podcast books, newsletters uh, or other recommendations that you think we should check out? Recently, I've been reading quite a few books that actually don't have much to do with the creative industries, but really do help to sort of reshape perspectives on things. So Bell Hooks, I love Bell Hooks, brilliant author, black feminist author, um, foundational to a lot of like things that I now subscribe to and believe in. Um, reading her book, All About Love, that is really eye-opening in terms of what love and care actually mean in the global context. Um, that's a really good book. Another book that I think a lot of people um, in the creative industry should probably read is The Tyranny of Merit by Michael J. Sandel. And that is a book that was written in 2020, sort of, um, I think it was just right before COVID or during COVID. I can't remember when it was released, but um, it is very topical and it touches on literally the tyranny of meritocracy and the idea that we peddle in the creative industries all the time, especially in early careers. We've sold this idea, this dream to young people that if you work hard and if you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just a little bit of luck. Um, I literally, even yesterday, I saw a post on LinkedIn by somebody celebrating the fact that they bought a house. And in this post, they said that it took a lot of years of hard work and savings. I went on their LinkedIn and found out they went to a private school. This happens all the time. Like, let's not be lying to ourselves. Final book, I'd say, A Short History of African Philosophy by Barry Hannon, because that goes into a very historical depth of what different societies from um, around the globe can look like and how they're not all oriented about around profit and around maximizing um, sort of productivity. So that's a really interesting read. Podcasts. I love The Financial Confessions. That's run by a YouTube page called The Financial Diet. Um, they have like an approach on sort of personal finance and like a money management that understands that the world isn't helping you with doing this, which is really good. Um, sort of Over the Bridge podcast that's run by four um, black men who went to Cambridge. So, and they're discussing like um, how they went sort of over that bridge, over Cambridge. And um, they speak to a bunch of other people doing amazing work um, in different sort of areas of life and that kind of thing. Music podcast, Don't Alert the Stands, that's run by Nick, Eden and Chopper. They're three music industry professionals who are just like really, really good at talking about music. And I love their takes on a lot of that kind of stuff. Thank you for listening to the Hear It podcast. You can find links to everything we talked about in the show notes. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at the Hear It Podcast or threadandfable.com. And if you've enjoyed the show today, please drop us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts.